0: Okay, so this is uh, our biblical counseling class on biblical issues. And one of the things, uh, two things I want to do today. Number one, I just want to make some closing comments on everything that we've discussed here. And that shouldn't take too long. And then I want to start answering some of the questions. As I said, the majority of our next two classes are going to be Q&A. So you have submitted questions. And I wanted to take some time to answer those questions. But before we do, um, I just want to say some closing remarks uh, concerning our study on how to handle the past biblically. Um, We want to remember over everything that we are going to have trials and tribulations because we live in a fallen world. And one of the things I hope that you find encouraging about this is that when calamity comes or when difficulties befall you, don't look at this as something that is a a curse of God or or perhaps something that God is doing um, necessarily to uh, be mean-spirited in any way, but the fact that we live in a fallen world, and the grace of it is is that God gives us ways to handle our situations because we live in a fallen world, and and we know that um, we are going to be persecuted, we know the trouble will come. Remember what the Proverbs say, sure as sparks fly upward, right? Man is born to trouble. And, you know, I know this in ministry. I can just breathe and get in trouble. I mean, I can wake up and I'm in trouble for something, you know, and I think, how does this happen? Um, But it does. And it happens to all of us. The truth of it is in our own little world. Um, And all of us could give testimonies of difficulties that we're in or have had or will have. So what do we do in a case like that? Well, again, to recap everything, first of all, We want to appropriate scripture. Can someone read Psalm 119.11? If someone can dial that up real fast. And I'm going to chew on this. Got
1: it. Read slow. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against
0: you. Okay, thank you. You know, that's such a precious verse. Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. We can't control what the world does to us. But we can control how we respond to what comes at us. And the greatest power that we have next to our salvation in Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is the counsel of God's word. And you know, that is our That is the lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. That is what guides us in everything that we do in life. And the word should never be far from our hearts, our minds. This is why memorizing the word, hiding the word of God in our hearts, so that we can pull up verses when we need to, is so very important. Um, Also, what we find in the word, and this should be another encouragement when we think about the trials that come from living in a a fallen world, that there were servants of God that we read about in Scripture that handled probably tougher times than we'll ever go through, and they handled them successfully. You know, that's one of the greatest encouragements to me, is seeing how men and women in the Bible handled very trying situations and got through it faithfully. You know, you think of men like Daniel. You know, we read this story and we almost make it cartoonish. You know, we think, oh, Daniel and the lions, but This stuff really happened. Now picture yourself getting thrown into a den of lions who haven't eaten for a month. That wouldn't be a fun day. You know, and these things, and when you see the faith of others who have gone through things before us, and, and even when we read in, in Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, about many who lost their lives because of their faith in Christ, and many who lose their lives this very day. You know, it should encourage us, because we see that God's grace is sufficient no matter how tough the times may get. And also, an encouragement is that when we go through times of trial and difficulty, that's the time to really concentrate on biblical truth. That's when we want to really concentrate on what does the word say. Because if we let our minds and our hearts get away from us, I don't know about you, but I tank real easy. When I get back in the flesh, and when I start saying, yeah, I know God, I took this step by faith, but this one i got to do my thing, that's when we get into trouble. So we wanna make sure that we're concentrating on biblical truths, the assurances in God's word that he gives us. And then, and this is something I think most Christians don't often think about, and it's a wonderful thing to mature this way, but in the midst of a trial, think this way. What does God want me to accomplish or what does God want me to learn in this? Could it be that God engineered this difficulty? Could it be that God put me in this trouble because he's testing me, he wants me to learn something? How can I be refined in the midst of this trial? And how can I come out the other end better? Um, You know, I've often said smooth seas never made a skillful mariner, right? So God puts us through difficulties in life to strengthen us, to give us resolve, to mature us, to help others, to handle things. So instead of, you know, lamenting and looking inside, poor me, poor me, say, God, okay, what can I do about this? What, What can I learn through this? How can this... Be of benefit to me. Even Job understood that God is good, but there are times of adversity. And Job, I can't imagine having a day where you lost all of your family being killed, losing all your livestock, your wealth, your home, everything. You lose everything. That would be a pretty bad day. Um, so concluding then, we can say this, the Bible has sufficient and specific answers for, for all areas of life, including areas of our past. Handling our past and anything that may have come up so that we can handle it. We don't have, Secondly, we don't have to be ruthlessly driven by our past. Our past should never, ever, ever control us. We should control it. And if we have to bring up the past, then we want to do that in a positive way where we're learning from it or we're remembering what we've learned from it, but not in a way where it paralyzes us again or brings bitterness or anger because we can't change the past. Thirdly, believers ought to be passionately driven by the desire to please and glorify God. And that's one of the motives for handling our past, biblically. So that we can get victory over the past, and we get victory instead of being victims. You know, we don't want to be victims to our past. And listen, this is an all-too-common problem, and I see this in counseling all the time. People are paralyzed in the present because of something that happened in the past. Usually, people don't come into counseling and say, Pastor, oh, you know, I've been thinking about the future and I just can't take another step. (laughs) You know, because nobody knows what that is. But they come in, oh, this is what happened and this is where I'm at, and, you know, and they're just kind of paralyzed by it. So, um, you know, we have great encouragement from the Word and and as believers that um, this is normal for the believer. You know, this is not unusual. I don't know about you, but life became much harder for me when I became a Christian. Because all of a sudden, here's what happens. When you're in the pagan world, you're swimming with the current, right? Of life in the world. But when you become a Christian, you start swimming against the current. And that's harder. I was a great pagan. I was so good at it. it just came so naturally, you know? Um, but when I became a Christian, you know, that changed and, and things... Um, Not that I would want to go back, mind you. I'm not saying that by way of enjoyment. I'm saying that because that's just the way life is, but it's so glorious. Why would a, like a dog, why would we want to return to our own vomit, you know, of the past life? Um, So, anyway. Okay, I'll end there, unless there are any questions or comments that anybody wants to make. Any parting shots across the bow, so to speak. Okay, Forrest, you may.
1: One fast and...
0: um, Make it slow. This is my last bite.
1: I heard a wonderful sermon one time that has kind of had a a lasting effect I think on both Deborah and myself. And it has to do with uh, generally when something is over and it's done, we can say, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you, and we can thank you. Mm -hmm. But the harder parts are when, when we see something coming... To begin thanking God even ahead of time, and then in yeah. the midst of it. Amen. And I think if we can constantly remember, yeah. that, you know, as you said, Lord, what do you have for me in this? What do you try yeah. to teach me? Right. What do you want me to learn and be thanking you for it? Because sometimes it's one, that's one of the hardest things to do. But we have verses like, and everything give thanks think this mm-hmm. is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Mm-hmm. We have to be thankful. We do. You know, and it's difficult and we don't like it, but we have to remember God chastises his own.
0: That's right. That's why we count it all joy when we fall into various trials. because, And, you know, that's the mark of maturity, when you can realize that even in the difficult times, God is there. And, you know, I'm always amazed because in my early Christian life, I would go through trials and get fairly devastated and and build up, Resentment towards God, like why? And, and as I look back now, how foolish my thinking was, and now I've actually come to the point where I thank God for the difficulty I went through because it helped me to be who I am today to handle things that I would have never been able to handle had I not gone through it. And um, so, you know, there's such joy in that, and um, you know, you learn that. Um, you know, that's, that's what life is. And uh, on this side of glory, we're going to have trouble. And that's just not going to go away. But we can have joy in the midst of our trouble and not lose that overriding joy if our faith is grounded in God and his word. All right, thanks. <clears throat> All right, so let me go through some of these questions. Um, I think I'll start with this one. Um, So this question was, how do I counsel a young believer on committing to a church while in school in another area that is away from their original home? They are not members of a church, even back home. Um, There's a lot of things that came to mind as I read this question. First of all, if I had someone that was in that situation, the first thing I'd want to do is find out a little history about that individual where did you come from, um, you know, what is your life, what was it like, where did you go to school, um, I'd want to know if they ever went to church, because it could be you're dealing with an unbeliever, um, and I would ask, you know, why, why weren't you involved in church at home, and is this a situation now where you want to be involved, uh, or you just think it's the right thing to do, or somebody else suggested it, um, one thing I found is, is that you know if, if somebody has not been going to church at home, the likelihood of them on their own with no supervision going somewhere else is not very great. Um, but let's say, for the sake of argument, that they really do want to go to church. Maybe it's a new believer who came from a non-Christian home. Maybe it's one who, a person who really has been convicted. Um, I, w- I would want to um, certainly sit down with them and help them understand how to find a good church. People that typically don't go to church really don't know what a good church looks like. What are the important aspects of a good church? What, what, what are the things that we should look for? What are the core principles that you're going to find? So I'd want to go through that with them. Um, and if they found a good church, I'd certainly want to follow up with the pastor of that church and kind of, you know, um, counsel with him as to what the situation is with this particular individual and to maybe uh, aggressively seek discipleship for that individual, to get them involved, to get them interested in church, and um, to develop their relationship with the Lord. Um, You know, and this this is an important issue, and I know it meant a lot to me, because when all three of my kids went off to college, one of the things that Gail and I really were more aggressive than anything else was making sure they got a good church. I said, right now I'm not interested in your classes. I'm not interested in your schedule. I'm not interested in who your professors are. What I am interested in are the good churches in this area. Um, and so, you know, I, it was of paramount importance to me that my children get involved in a good church. And I said, look, I'm going to give you grace here. And I said, it's as important to me, if not more important to me, that in your education, you're faithful to a local church, as faithful as you are to your classes and your study. This is not a time to say, well, we're going to put church on hold for four years and just go to school. I said, that's the kiss of death. I said, you need the local church. I want to make sure you're involved. And I would go up there, and we'd go to church when we visited our kids. i talked to the pastor. What do the kids do? And by God's grace, they all stayed involved with church. Um, so this was a good question because I think it's important, and I hope that if you have a family member or friends that you know, or just someone who may come and want to counsel you, that you can think of those things a history, why no church, how to find a good church, a follow up, and then, you know, aggressive discipleship. Any thoughts on that? Any comments on that? Me
1: again.
0: Yes, good. I, I figure like, I don't computer have like...
1: a. Garbage garbage yeah. You're not being. Founded in a part of a solid church, somebody in that condition mm-hmm. is only taking in what the university is telling them. Right. And as a general rule, most of our uh, universities are so anti-God oh, that some of our young people, yeah, who are, are beginning young Christians, go to a university and come out, right. they don't want to anything to do with the church, yeah. because they don't have a balance, Exactly. their, their, their foundation is not set on yeah. Christ through the word
0: of God. I agree, Forrest, and, and I would probably use stronger language, and I've said this without apology, other than Christian schools, for the most part, most of your secular universities are mental abortion clinics, mm-hmm. and let me tell you what I learned about having kids in college, they need guidance from parents more than ever when they're in college. You know, parents think that, oh, my kid's in college now. They're grown up. Give me a break. You guys know, you've been in college, right? Um, You know, they're great kids that just seem to gravitate on their own to what is good. But I'll tell you, college can be a place where you can really let it all hang out. And a lot of kids do. And I found as a parent, I was more, I gave more oversight to my kids in college than I ever did when they were home. And they went to Christian colleges, you know. And not just because it 's a Christian college doesn't mean that everything's going to be hunky dory, but it does mean at least hopefully that you know what they were taught in church and what they were taught at home will be consistent for the most part with what they 're being taught at the university um, you know and I often thought, well, if my kids wanted to go on and be doctors or they had to go to medical school, well then you're kind of trusting the Lord with that because it 's not like every school they go to is you know going to maybe have a Christian Uh, slant to it, but for those of you going to colleges, be aware of that, because I'll tell you, it is anti-God out there today. In fact, I think the greatest threat to America next to ISIS is the college campus in America, because they are brainwashing these kids. And I heard interviews after interviews with some of these kids in secular universities, and I'm telling you, it's scary. It's scary the way they're thinking. Socialist, communist and the professors have free reign to bash America, it, it's it's really appalling. Yes? Oh, I was just going to share my personal experience um, since I'm graduating. but UCF? UCF, yeah. Um, when I was at
1: home, we never had a, a stable church. Like, we were always kind of like church hopping, and I really found a church. So I kind of built up a resentment to churches being clicky and not welcoming, and you know, we never found one that we felt comfortable in. So I yeah. think college, and I really wish I had somebody that would, um, introduce me to their church, that, um, you know, a good church, and I mm-hmm. go there attending, and so my first couple of years, I was just attending
0: this office yeah. at this church, sure. and then I just kind of fell away, I didn't, Yeah, yeah. you know, I got caught up in my studies, and I'm like, well, I can't find a church anymore, anyway. and of course I'm here now, which I'm, you know, very,
1: yeah. very grateful for, but yeah, yeah it's just it's very easy to do,
0: yeah, away. yeah, and, and, you know, I want to be just as quick, too, to say there are some wonderful professors out there, very godly men and very godly people that um, I, I know some of the professors I had, I, I so admire and look up to them and, you know, just the stands they took and their love for the Lord. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like there's nowhere we can go for education. But let's face it, in this day and age, we have to be careful because it's um, it's so different. different. Um, I remember in high school the biggest problem I faced was kids that smoke in the bathroom. I mean that was like smoking cigarettes, by the way, not not drugs, but just cigarettes. Now, you know, probably smoke going down the halls, you know. But I don't know. Anyway, okay. Any more comments on that one? I
1: just heard the news uh, comment that I'm not sure the state, but in the second grade they're starting to teach uh, gay and lesbian agenda program. Sure.
0: Yep. So it's, not yep. Just it's oh, it's grammar school too. Oh yeah, it starts It's a it's a brainwashed it's a it's a concerted effort to steal the minds of our young people. This is not just plain modernism. There's an agenda out there to bring down our way of life. And um, and we need to wake up to it. Um, and it starts in grammar school. We pulled our kids out of a grammar, a public grammar school when they were in grammar school because unbeknownst to us, there was a teacher who decided to teach sex education to fourth graders. And I wasn't really ready for that. And I went in and I was really upset and I pulled my kids out. And from that point on, they went to a Christian school. And again, I'm not saying that a Christian school is an end-all. You know, you can have problems in any school. So, you know, I don't... But uh, I I just decided that that just wasn't going to be for me. Um, And, you know, and now I'm sure it's ten times worse. You know, they're teaching the gay and lesbian agenda that this is normal, that this is, um, there's nothing wrong with this, and, you know, what's your problem if you're not on board with all this? We have to be careful. Um, You know, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I believe, the gospel is out of season in this country. And the door is closing fast, and persecution is coming. I'm telling you, there's a tidal wave out there that's going to hit us. And we better be ready for it, because it's coming. Um, So, and already Christians are persecuted. I I talk to people from our church every week who are persecuted in one way or another. Certainly not like our brothers and sisters overseas that are giving their lives, but get passed over for jobs or get uh, reprimanded for... You know, sharing their faith. At the men's breakfast, Jeremy, you remember, I uh, can't remember that fellow's name that shared, the math teacher? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Gibson. Is Gibson? Yeah, who was a math teacher and he, and he started to um, give credit to God for all creation. He said, everything, he said, math is God's invention. Math is from God, you know. Well, you can imagine how that went over, you know. <laughs> so, it was in a public school. It was in a public school. And he's not a teacher anymore. But, you know, I mean, you can't even say that. So, you know, we have to be aware of it. Okay, let's go on to the next um, issue here. It says, what is the place of prayer in any counseling? How would you guys answer that? What is the place of prayer in counseling? counseling yeah, hmm
1: And where it should go. Okay. And then um, praying a lot ahead of time. <clears throat> praying for the situation. I mean, if you have that headset, yeah. you know, if you're gonna have an appointment with somebody, you be praying every day consistently, you know, for that situation to have the wisdom you need and to be in
0: the Lord. I agree, Deborah. In fact, this is one of the most important lessons for any biblical counselor. Prayer is not optional, it's imperative. If you are not praying before and during a counseling session, you are going to go as flat as flat can be. Um, This is not something that... This is one of the most important disciplines for any biblical counselor, and if you are not a praying counselor, then you are not a counselor. We always want to remember that there are always at least three people in a counseling session. You, the counselee... And the Holy Spirit. You are not going to change anybody's heart. You are not going to talk people out of sin. You're not going to razzle-dazzle them by your famous words. Only one influence can change your heart, and that's the Holy Spirit. So when we're in counseling, we have to more than ever take the mindset, the philosophy that we are a mouthpiece. We are sitting there, and we want to think that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is standing right behind us, and we're saying, what do you want me to say? Because it's God's word that's going to change. And this is why our philosophy about biblical counseling is so strong. Because secular counseling leaves that element out altogether. So this is an imperative. And I want to just elaborate on this just a little bit. Um, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. You know, many times we don't see results because we don't ask for them. You know, when... um, I had a pastor recently come to me lamenting. Uh, it was a guy at the SRL. I won't mention his name. A guy I've known many years. He's in the area. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a pa- been pastoring for many years. And he said, how's the church of faith going? You know, and I said, pretty well. I said, you know, I really believe the Lord has us in a pretty good place. And, you know, nobody's throwing tomatoes at Pastor Ron and I. So we you know, I guess it's going well. We, I'm very encouraged by our church. And I said, how's it going for you? And, oh, man, it was just... That was the, uh, a loaded question, I guess. And he just started lamenting. I mean, he said, it's going terrible, and things aren't going good, and really questioning my call to the ministry. And then he got into some specific things that were going wrong, you know, and I was just listening. And, and I remember saying to him, I said, well, have you prayed about these things? No answer. I said, have you asked God to help you with these things? Do you? Well, you know, once in a while. And I said, you know... Maybe the best place to start is to get on your knees before the Lord and, and bring it to him, you know, but it's so easy, and I don't criticize him because I would be a hypocrite many times I go in the flesh um it's so easy, isn't it to go from the spirit into the flesh and it's so easy when you know you think things are going well, and I can take it from here, Lord, and you know just oh and and we have to be careful of that, but um you know there have been many times. And I don't say this as a pious remark, but I have come in alone and just knelt before that altar out there in tears over my 10 years here, over all kinds of things. There was a time early on, I didn't think we were going to make it here. I told Gail, don't unpack the truck because I don't know that we're going to make it here. And we went through some very difficult years here. But I said, Lord, this is bigger than me. I got to rest in you there. I can't fix this. I can't change this. This is all you, and incredible what God did in in some areas, just to the point of taking your breath away, you know, and over many issues, you know um, one thing the Lord will do if you're in ministry he'll humble you and make you understand real quickly where your strength comes from, and it's not you, praise God for that but um, but it's true for all of us, isn't it that you know we need to be praying people, and especially that's true in counseling, man, we need to be on our knees and And praying for people, the thought of starting a session without praying would be just unthinkable. Never, ever start a counseling session without praying with the person or people that you're with. And you're asking for God's help, and you're asking for His wisdom, and, you know, remembering always that He's there. Um, Let's see. Um, I want to have us look um, at some verses, because like I said, when we think about the importance of prayer... The, the the specific issue in counseling is that what we're looking for in counseling is heart transformation. Remember that ultimately everything we deal with in counseling is an issue of the heart. There's something wrong here. Now, there may be something wrong here, you know, and um, but there's always going to be something wrong here. So if we're looking for heart transformation, we need to consider the Holy Spirit. So will someone look up 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18? Someone else, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, and then someone else, Philippians 4, 6. Let me say those again. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, and then Philippians 4, 6. All right, does anybody have 2 Corinthians 3? Okay, go ahead. glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, it is the Spirit. Okay, so you notice that the idea of the Spirit and transformation are synonymous, that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, which renews our hearts as well, and that is an act of the Spirit, that is a function of the Holy Spirit. So if we're looking to see someone with a transformed heart, then we need to depend upon the Spirit. We can't do it. And not to sound mysterious, but there are many times in counseling where God will bring conviction to me that I need to say something that wasn't even on my radar screen. That can be some of the most helpful things that I've ever said. And I don't attribute that to me. It happens to me in preaching all the time. It's just like the Lord says, I want you to say this. You know, and, and he'll lead you in a direction. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows better than we do. Um, if I could get a written manuscript from the Holy Spirit in counseling, I'd read it word for word. Okay, I got it right here. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be great to me. So we see that transformation takes place because the power of the Spirit works. Okay, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20.
1: Uh, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly
0: as I ought to speak. Wow, that's amazing to me. You look at the humility of the Apostle Paul. Here's a guy that got direct revelation for God, wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and he's praying humbly that God would give me the words. You know, if anybody had the right to show accolades and say, hey, I got this one, you know, I am an apostle, you know, um, it would be Paul. But he said, you know, pray uh, that the spirit would give me utterance. Paul understood how important it was to stay in the spirit. And so I think that that is really a great lesson for us that, um, you know, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that means counseling, too. If you think you have enough human wisdom and biblical knowledge and understanding to do this in the flesh, you're sadly mistaken. And you're going to be a very frustrated counselor uh, because you're not going to see a whole lot happen. It's hard enough when you are in the spirit. <laughs> so remember that. Okay, Philippians 4, 6, somebody have that? Okay, thanks, Ellie. Do not be anxious, God. Okay, excellent. And that shows you the power. We can trust in God. We don't have to be anxious about things. And, you know, how often do we, when we get in the flesh, we doubt our abilities. I don't know if I can pull this off. You know, I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, depend upon the Spirit. You know, think of the Word. Be, be, be uh, educated in the Word. You know, be an approved workman. And, and let the Word of God speak to individuals. Um, and listen, another thing about counseling, too, if... if you're in a situation and uh, you're asked a question or a subject comes up that you don't really feel you're able to handle adequately, then just say, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you. There's no shame in that. Better to do that than to step out in the flesh. Because that's where we can, again, really get out, well, uh, if it was me, you know, well, it isn't you. And what may have worked for you is maybe not the best counsel for someone else. But so... um, don't be ashamed of that. You know, just, I'll find out. We don't let it go, but we'll, we'll find out. All right, anything else on prayer? Those are just some random thoughts. Yes, uh, and then I'll get to four. As far as prayer
1: goes, as a counselor, I'm totally get it. But what do you think, what would you say um, uh, regarding prayer on the part of the council? Like, maybe some, like, homework or anything? Obviously, yeah. they have to be doing some yeah, hard.
0: Absolutely. Prayer, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they do. Oh, and I do that all the time. So for example, I, I'll just give one for the sake of time, but uh, one of the big issues always in counseling, it's always an issue. It's either the main issue or it's a sub-issue, is communication or lack of. Communication isn't everything. So one of the things when and I do more marital counseling than anything. That's the bulk of my counseling by far. And one of the things that I teach in communication is a, a concept public conference table, how to resolve conflict. Without killing each other and to keep the intimacy of marriage going, even when you disagree on something and there's a severe disagreement, how do you keep the marriage intact and how do you work through the process of coming to a solution without losing that love for one another and respect? So, all that to say, that whole process starts with prayer and it ends with prayer. And I show them specific prayers that I want them to pray. I take them to specific scriptures, Ephesians 4.32, other areas that I want them to pray, So that they're understanding there is a way to pray for this. Um, Because without that, and when they end, we end with prayer. And why do we do that? Because whether you're the counselor or the counselee, what it does is it puts in our minds the need to depend upon Christ. It puts God in our minds. It's a reminder first and foremost that we're depending upon the Lord to help us with this and to change us where we need to change. So, for us. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, oh, it's okay. it's Amber? Beautiful. No, same, you answered it. Oh, okay, I answered it? Okay, Amber, did you have a...
1: I'm um, just touching on the prayer thing. Um, there's also different aspects of prayer that are important when being counseled. Um, asking, requesting or thanking God, or um, yeah. casting your anxieties upon God. Amen. So there are different aspects. Oh, of for sure. I know for me, for yeah. example, been in counseling, I had serious anxiety, and I Mm-hmm. And, and my counselor told me, cast your anxiety. Absolutely. Like, oh, my goodness. The yeah. that
0: and that's with. the whole point of Ephesians 4 that uh, Ellie just read there. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. And, and in the Reformed faith, you know, you guys have heard the acts, right, as far as prayer, you know, uh, adoration, uh, confession, uh, thanksgiving and supplication. So you know we have different kinds of prayers that we pray, and you know that's so important to know. You know, and you're right. We pray about anything and everything. There's nothing that we can say. Well, the prayer isn't applicable there. You know, <laughs> prayer is always applicable. Usually in most of the areas above. Okay, so very good. All right. Here's another. Here's another question. Will someone tell me when it's ten after two? Ten after t- ten. I mean, not ten after two. Ten after. <laughs> you get it. Okay, a question came in, what three counseling books are recommended reading? And there are three that I, there are many, but there are three that I think are absolute necessities. Number one is Jay Adams' book, Confident to Counsel. I think that is a must read. In fact, for all certification, you have to read that. Um, What I like about the book is that it's very meaty and underlying all of the subject matter in that particular book is again the encouragement that we're all to counsel. We are fighting in the Christian church today this idea that if you have a problem, go see the professional. Right? And that's what a lot of pastors do. I mean, the thought of them actually counseling, you need to see a psychiatrist, you need to see a psychologist. That is so unbiblical, it's not even funny. And most Christian psychologists, which I think is an oxymoron, um, are not going to be giving the kind of advice that you really need to hear. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Competent to counsel. Um, The second um, book that I would recommend is Biblical Counseling and the Church. This was written by Bob Kellerman and, and uh, Kevin Carson. Let me say it again. Biblical Counseling in the Church. Very practical because, again, it's church-based. Um, it's by Bob Keller, K-E-L-L-E-M-E-N, Bob Kellerman and Kevin Carson. And then the third book that I would recommend would be A Theology of Christian Counseling, also by Jay Adams. And the reason this is so important is that we cannot competently counsel without a good theology. We've got to have a good theology. If we don't have a good theology, then all we're doing is giving our opinions and generalizations. I think this is my favorite book that Adams has ever written, A Theology of Christian Counseling, because it, it sounds a little wooden, I know. You might think, like, oh, this is great bedtime reading. But actually, I found it very good bedtime reading. Um, but it, it will give you the thrust of um, why you're counseling the way you're counseling. How does our theology impact the way we counsel? And that's important to know. And again, he writes this book. You know, Jay Adams is a pretty sharp guy, and yet he writes it in a way that's very palatable. I mean, you can understand it. If I can understand it, I know all of you in here can understand it, because I'm on the way down, and you guys are on the way up. You know, so... Not really, Forrest. We're just we're on the top, right? <laughs> Up there somewhere? Yeah, right. Yeah, we're on the top. All right. All right, and, and I'm going to skip down to this one because, uh, again, I want to elaborate on this. Who is qualified to practice counseling? And I, I said a minute ago, you know, the mindset today is so much that you need a professional. But I think Paul says, go to Romans 15, 14, and you'll see that Paul clearly debunks that idea. Romans 15, 14. here toward the end of probably the greatest epistle he ever wrote, the Constitution of the Bible, Romans. You know, he talks about verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, notice this, and able also to admonish one another. Nuthateo Synthetic counseling, that's the mother of right there. That's where we get that term. Although we don't use it anymore. Now it's ACBC. I don't even know what that stands for. American Association. Association, Association. by biblical Counselors. Right, I know. Yes. Thank you very much. I always want to go ACDC because that would be active, <laughs> you know. And I, I used to get that all mixed up. I go, yeah, I, I'm in ACDC. I mean, I mean I'm in ABCD. I mean, no, I'm in uh, <laughs> something like that. But anyway, um <clears throat> So we're to, um, we're to have the knowledge, we're able to counsel. If we have an understanding of the gospel, and true believers have at least a minimal understanding of the gospel, certainly enough to come to saving faith, then we are able to counsel. And, you know, obviously we want to grow in our faith and learn. We, you know, we, we're constantly wanting to mature, but we can help one another. You know, one of the greatest lies of Satan is is that he makes us think that sin is complicated. You know, like I said last week, you know, people will come in, oh, pastor, you could never understand my situation. Oh, yes, I could. Yes, I could. Because it's elementary, it's ABC. You know, we may have new modern technological jargon, but you know what? At the bottom line, man's heart has not changed. One bit. And the problems that we face today, envy, lust, greed, right? Oh, still around. Because the human heart has not changed. And you know what? We're able to counsel those things. And we're able, to, um, we're able to handle those kinds of issues. Now, I want to throw a caveat in here because this often comes up as a question, so I'm going to just throw it out there. I, I get asked sometimes, well, what about, you know, there are genuine medical illnesses that, you know, manifest themselves in behavioral change. That's true. There are legitimate medical illnesses that can really affect behavior. No question. Such as Diabetes. Hormonal differences. Um, There are um, 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 certain—I can't—I lost my train of thought here. Certain illnesses that can cause thyroid problems, that can cause behavioral changes to an extent. So, what do you do in a case like that? You know, you can't counsel those people. Well, yes, we can, and here's what we do: we counsel them first to go see a physician. Okay? Because I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one. And one of the things, if I suspect that there's, you know, like people will come in all the time. I'm uh, bipolar. I'm, uh, you know, I have schizophrenia. I have this or that. Okay. Um, I don't worry too much about labels. But if I hear things like that, the first thing that I'm going to say is, you know what, listen, I want you to go to a doctor and I want you to get a complete physical. I want you to get checked out, get blood tests. Let's find out if there is some physiological problem going on with you. Because many times that can cause behavioral changes. And we want to make sure that we're not just assuming that we can change people if there's a legitimate medical condition. We would want them to get on medicine or whatever might need to be taken in order to overcome these things. But what I have found and what I think biblical counseling has proven, if there are no medical issues or if there are medical issues that are being treated, Then it becomes behavioral issues, right? And we learn behavioral issues um, from a young age, and those are things that can be corrected. For example, you may disagree with me here, this ADHD stuff. There's legitimacy to that. I'll tell you how my dad solved my ADHD. He took me over his knee with his belt. It was amazing how fast I learned to pay attention. You know, we live in a society where we're very, very quick to label things before really understanding is this simply a behavioral issue or is this a medical issue? And again, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one and there could be children that have a lack of attention because of legitimate problems, because of legitimate illnesses or things that are contributing to that. And you know what? Listen, I would never tell a parent don't get it checked out. You know, if there's recommendations through physicians. Um, I'm not going to usurp that. But oftentimes, we're quick to dismiss it as something that only a professional can handle when, in fact, we may have the ability ourselves to handle it. Okay, I know, we're at 10 after. Right, thank you.
1: Time. Pardon time. Time.
0: Yeah, right. We have three minutes. So I'm not going to go into another question. Um, but the point of this is, and not to get into, is that, is that, you know what, you should feel competent to counsel. You should feel like, look, you can help people. You know, you don't have to run to a pastor every time and say, oh, I'm talking to so-and-so and they're going through this. Sometimes you're a better counselor than I am. Because when they hear it from you guys, it's, it's very impactful. Um, you know, when they hear it from me at times, it's like, well, a pastor's supposed to do this. That's what he does. You know, so they're half listening. or But when it comes from you, sometimes I think it's even more meaningful. To people, so by all means, uh, don't be remiss in um, in doing that. And you know what? If you're stuck, we're here to help you. You know, if you have questions or whatever, you know, we'll help you with it. Okay. Next time, we're going to deal with questions about pride. I had a bunch of stuff on pride, dealing with pride. So we'll talk about that. Um, okay. And then uh, just a couple more on this one. But all right. Any? Closing remarks? Okay. Well, at least nobody fell asleep, but that's good. <laughs> you know. I know. That's next hour, right? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yes, let's, let's pray. I'm just kidding. Father, we thank you for the counsel of your word and uh, Lord, these issues that come up, Lord, we so depend upon you and Lord, you heal demoniacs, you heal those with depression, you heal those who were physically ill. Lord, you were the God of all comfort and, and grace. You indeed were the great physician and are. Lord, I pray as counselors you would help us to know our limitations. Father, we are not doctors and we must be very careful not to assume uh, that we can manage any kind of medical conditions and Lord, that we are dependent upon those who are uh, versed in medicine to understand those things. But Lord, as it comes to behavioral issues, Lord, help us to help others to align them with the word of God, to encourage their hearts and minds to consider the scriptures, Lord, not only in what they should be doing, but how to do it. And uh, Lord, I thank you for each one here. And I pray, Lord, that you'll equip each one in their counseling skills to be able to really offer genuine and healing help and hope to those who are hurting in so many ways. Lord, this is something we will do continually living in a fallen world. And we depend upon you for these things. Lord, keep us humble. Uh, We have none of the answers. We depend upon your word for the answers. And uh, Lord, may you bless the efforts of everyone in this room as they seek to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, may that just render the fruit of peace and righteousness and, and faith and conviction. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, guys. All right. You're welcome. Thank you.